Good to go. All right. So all right, well, welcome. It's nice to see people and and it's just nice to see people. We'll just stop there, full stop. <laughs> we're glad you guys are here. It is, it's a joy to see you and welcome to folks who are at home. Uh, we do look forward to the day when we can all be together again and the room is full. Um, it, it's gonna be a different experience. It's gonna be an abbreviated worship service this morning. So we, we gotta get a trial run through technology of having people in person and getting everything to work. It's a perfect storm, so. But we're here and, and we're here to hear the good news of the gospel, to hear uh, the wonder of what Jesus has done for us and that he's given us a family to go through these things together. And so that, that's something to, to remember, to meditate on for a lifetime. And this morning we're going to talk about how the gospel invades and changes our households, our families, um, right, which is highly appropriate at the end of having spent a lot of time with our families and our households. And so this is this is what the gospel does. It changes those places that we can change, the places where we live. So a couple announcements before we go live for, or before we go into our worship, right? For those of you who are here, I mean, you got the notice with all the different uh, reg rules and regulations about one person in the bathroom at a time. Uh, we're gonna be wearing masks and ideally when the service is over, we'll, we'll socialize, but it's best done outside because we're, Authorities are telling us that's safer and less contagious. And I want to thank you for your continued giving. I mean, we're, we're maintaining our budget, which is a gift from you to us as a family. I mean, we want to be in Boston Spa for a long time ministering. So thank you for that. And the way we're going to continue giving, we're not going to pass an offering plate. Just continue as is. Um, mailing your check-in, you can bring an envelope. We can leave it in the office if we need to do that. Um, our denomination has graciously agreed, at least through June, to continue offering for free online giving. So that, that's a gift to us. Um, God willing, next week, phase three is what we're hoping, and maybe they'll open up and there'll be more people here. And then lastly, I just want to reinforce before we begin our service, if you guys are here, if you know anyone in need, if you want to, we are blessed to be a blessing. That's what the scriptures tell us. So, and the way we as a church function is if you know someone that you can be a blessing to, we want to be in the background and let you take the lead. So if you or anyone you know needs help, prayer, counseling, financial assistance, diaconal help, uh, please let us know. I know the deaconesses want to help and we want to, to partner with you in that. Uh, with that, let's take a moment now to prepare our hearts to hear God speak to us today and we'll get technology going. <laughs> All right, Brandon, if you will fast forward a couple slides to the call to worship, we will we'll begin and we get to hear your voices. We get to do this together. 
Psalm 145 is a, is a great psalm that calls us to look at the greatness of our Lord and enjoy him together and pass on what we see to the next generation. It says, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall command your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Together. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. And they shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we, we thank you that you are good to all and your mercies, uh, your kindness is over everything that you have made. What a great reminder for us this morning. And as we come back celebrating the fact that we can be in person, that we get to see each other, we get to hear each other, um, that, that, that you have kept us safe, uh, that you have been our provider, our sustainer, um, the maker of heaven and earth who has promised to be our help and you have carried us this far. And for that, we thank you. And even as we continue to miss what, is, what has been normal, Lord, I pray as we gather you would deepen in us a longing for us to be together as a church, to grow in love for one another, um, and to grow in a longing and desire to, to be a good news people out among our neighbors. And so today we, we pray for those at home, uh, that you would bless them, keep them, make your face shine upon them, that, that the, the light of your face would shine through the, the clouds of, of sorrow and, and trouble. Thank you that we can stay connected. Thank you that we have technology, that we can do this. And with that in mind, we pray for our brothers and sisters on the other side of the world who do not have this technology, who are stuck at home and in isolation, Lord, that your, your spirit would comfort them in particular today. Um, today, as we meditate on the gospel, on the truth and goodness and beauty of Jesus, um, just give us eyes to see that we might do everything in the name of our Savior who loves us and that we might be a thankful people. Help us see that though the wrong seems off so strong, you, Father, our good Father, is the ruler yet. So as we sing, as we pray, Spirit, come. As we hear the word preached, teach us, enlighten our, the eyes of our hearts to see the wonder and the greatness and the security of everything you have given us in Christ Jesus. And we pray these things uh, in the name of Jesus, who gave himself up in love for us on the cross. Amen. Amen. Right, well, let's stand and sing Father Long Before Creation.
seated. Well, in a moment, Nick Cutler is going to join us for a mission moment. And for me to do that, I need to walk the tablet to the back because this is how technology is working today. So I am going to stop my video. So please hold if you're at home. I don't want to get motion sick. Hey, Nate, while you're moving, mm -hmm. whatever happened with the sound system about halfway through the song really cut our volume. We can hardly hear you guys. Oh, that stinks. I don't know if somebody at the soundboard changed something. Uh, we're not connected to the soundboard, so. Okay. okay. It was just live music messing with the speaker. Hold on. <laughs> All right, Nick. We Can are ready, man. Can everybody hear me? I just want to make sure. Uh, just a minute. On Zoom, we can yep. hear you. Okay, cool. Oh, I can't even see the audio. I need to tell the audio. <laughs> okay, try now, Nick. Okay. Um, so I want to start just by confessing that I'm, uh, I get really nervous to talk over Zoom for some reason. Just feel like I'm talking to myself because all I can see is myself right now. Um, but I did want to come on today and Nate had invited me last week to able to do that because we lost power. Um, and just say thank you to everybody for their support um, as I've gone through this program and um, support in prayers and support financially and through texts and letters and messages of encouragement. Um, and uh, just how through this season, it's, uh, it's been quite an experience. I think moving to Mississippi was, um, you know, Nate kind of prepared me a little bit, but um, I don't know if you could fully prepare for the weather. So kind of the seasons in Mississippi are going from hot to less hot. Um, and that's pretty much all you get. So I feel like I sweat all the time <laughs> and, uh, I've kind of adjusted in my two years here. Um, some of the big things that I feel like I've learned in the process of getting my master's in counseling, just the importance of, um, showing empathy and Jesus displayed that, um, in conversing with, in his ministry and how that really is the backbone 
of counseling is um, sitting there with your client and giving an opportunity for them to be heard and understood and um, allow them to process for themselves and with you um, some of their struggles. So I do think that it's it's been hard to um, learn counseling. It's uh, I think it's definitely a calling that I think God really has placed on my heart. I, I feel a lot of peace about being where I was in this program. Um, and am excited kind of for the next steps. I really right now feel like I'm, I'm in resting mode. Um, it's been a really taxing two years just through school and working in clinic and working with clients and then, um, working outside to, to be able to pay bills. Um, and again, just thank you for support in the financial realm. Um, I, I, I truly could not have done it, um, on my own. My parents, I want to say, I know they're at church right now and probably surprised to see me, but, um, thank you to them for everything financially. And, um, and of course, just an encouragement. Um, so next, I think that I, I would like to just, um, yeah, I think next step, I would like to kind of take some time to rest and, um, hopefully I'll be coming up to New York in mid July. And I, I don't know if I'll be able to, um, to come to church, but if, I hope to see people if I get a chance and it's nice to see everybody on zoom that has their camera on. Um, but, um, I think that's all I got, Nate. I don't know if you have any questions or anything, but, um, uh, where, where are you hoping to live? Where, where are you hoping to get a job? Right. You oh yeah. Counseling? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I honestly, I, I feel like for the next, next stage, I, I'll be in Mississippi. I, I found community here um, and, and think there's opportunity, but I'm not solidified. So I, I would say that kind of it's in uh, transitional time and um, I'm pretty open to finding different opportunities. But for now, just think staying in Mississippi, just because I do have um, consistent work and, uh, you know, the job is definitely because of coronavirus, it's probably about as bad as it can get for a grad. Um, but I know that, um, you know, it's all gonna end up working out and I'm sure everybody's experiencing just the, the change of normality as coronavirus has, um, really affected a lot of people and, uh, changed how we operate in life. And so. I don't really know what finding a job looks like in that. <laughs> so. yeah. Well, we'll pray, pray for you in that regard. Um, before you sign off, I do want to say, we want to say congratulations. And so I think it would be, I don't know what it's going to do to Zoom if we do this, but if everyone would unmute their microphone and we're, and we're just going to clap for you because it, it's an accomplishment to get your master's. 
and care for people in the midst of it while you're trying to survive and tread water. Congratulations. Thank you. I heard a nice echo of clap. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. All right, well, we're going to continue. Jim's going to pray for you as he prays for the for everyone else here in a moment. Thank so you. Thank you. Bring the camera back up front. Thanks, Nick. Let's see if this doesn't crumble. As I mentioned, it's good to see your eyes this morning. <laughs> it's uh, it's good to see folks, and it's good to be here. So uh, this morning, I wanted to think about some uh, some happy things and events. And John and Pat, this is your anniversary week. Yes. Yes. Very good. Friday. Friday is. And then there's uh, birthdays. This week is uh, today, I guess, is Jill's birthday, Galarno, and Jack Perot is this week, and Naomi's, and uh, Sandy Mayu's, and then um, Teddy Perkins as well, and then John will be here for years. So we have those birthdays to uh, think about and to be thankful for. So Let's go to the Lord in prayer. We are thankful, Lord, for us to be here today, even, even in a different way, uh, for us to have a handful of folks here. Lord, we are thankful for your, your goodness to us, sustaining us, giving us a love and a care uh, for each other that exceeds any human quality whatsoever. We pray that, Lord, you would uh, be with us as we worship this way today. And for the folks that are technologically uh, connected with us, Lord, we are thankful that you have given us this, this day again to separate our lives from the rhythm of the other weeks and the other days to give us a mindset to think about you as we've been reading and listening to messages from Paul's letter to the Colossians. You tell us, Lord, set our minds on things that are above and not the things upon earth. And so you've given us this Sabbath to be able to do that. You've given us this church to be among people who profess and with their lives promote that type of rhythm that you've given to us from the very creation. As the week was ordered, Lord, your day of rest is a day that we find ourselves resting and reminding of the rest that we have in trying to please you, that we do not 
have to please you. Will you already pleased that you are pleased and loving your son in such a great way that no one can out, ever outdo that love or that pleasure, the pleasure that the, the, the Trinity has in each other, Lord. We thank you for that. And we pray now that um, you would give us that desire to find that rest today, the rest of knowing that Christ has paid the price, Christ has lived the perfect life, and that we rest in you knowing that, Father, and accepting that. To be the offering of not only his life, but also his obedience, to be able to give us the assurance to stand here today and to be here in this moment to realize that nothing can be added to it at all. And we thank you for that because your word tells us that now we have been raised with Christ and now we see life differently. We are a new creation. We are a, a body of people who have been now recreated, have a new life. And we are on our way, Lord, to that day when we wait for that eternal rest and that completed recreation. Lord, we take this day to remember that. And so as we, as we are thoughtful and mindful of this, how important these days are to us, we thank you for giving us this opportunity to know who you are and know who we are and to be able to come to that understanding of that we are blessed because you have desired us to be a part of your family and that we are a part of a bigger family, a family not of blood, but of your blood shed for us, and that this family will be eternal, and that, Lord, this is the family that we will be living with, and that we will be with praising you every day for all existence. Lord, we thank you for giving us this hope. Thank you for giving us this idea to even ponder and to find excitement about. So as we are here, Lord, we, you tell us then we are to, as your chosen ones, ones that you've called out from all creation to be your people, that you've, we're holy, we're set apart, and you've set, because you are holy and because you are a loving father, you have given us this foreknowledge, that you're by your foreknowledge, by your Loving us before we ever loved you, you have given us now a reason to exist and a reason for living and changes the entire reason why we uh, ever ask, what is my life all about? We are called now to be compassionate and kind and humble and meek and patient. And so, Lord, we pray that the peace that we now have in you, Jesus, you will help us to have that rule in our lives. May that be the operating system that we live every day by, that we think and that we breathe and that we move based upon understanding that you are the one that we are living for and that we live by these loving words you've given to us. So Lord, as part of that community, we are 
praying for these anniversaries and these birthdays that uh, I've mentioned, that you, we thank you for them, that being part of our community, and we pray that you would give them this sense of uh, thanking you for uh, giving them a reason to rejoice, not only in each other, but in you, and that you've given us a life that has been called to glorify yourself, and in turn, that we would find a peace that transcends all understanding. Father, we are thankful for these birthdays and these anniversary, and we are thankful for, for the comp accomplishment that we've been uh, thinking about for the last couple years, but now as we've heard today from Nick, that uh, we rejoice with him and his family in this accomplishment of uh, getting his master's degree in counseling. And Lord, uh, a very difficult time to be graduating and to looking for work. Uh, Lord, there are many people, as Nick said, are in this same situation. So we, we ask your blessing upon him that he would have this sense of peace ruling in his heart, knowing that you are in control and sovereign over his life, and that, Lord, you have called him to be not only your child, but also to be one who has felt the call of ministry in, a, in, in life that is not yet clear, but is clear to you. So give him and us and his family this, this rest today of knowing that you are in control and that, Lord, that you will supply all of his needs because you have supplied Christ for him. And Lord, as we gather together, we pray for those who are not feeling well, who are struggling with, with some very serious diseases and, and physical maladies. Lord, we pray that you would be with them in ways that we do not know how or what to ask for, but we do ask that you would give them the love that they need and provide all that you know that they need right now, Lord. It is much greater and bigger than what we could ever ask. So, Lord, we pray that you would be with us as we continue to worship here today. Help us to get this mindset of eternity in our hearts, that we are living day by day with each other because you have called us to be here, but we also realize that, Lord, you are in control of all things, and we know who holds tomorrow. And we know that you love us with a love that is greater than we can even wrap our heads around. And so, Lord, today we pray that you would let the word of Christ dwell in us all richly. And that, Father, we would seek your wisdom and your teaching. That you would give us the opportunity to be able to praise you with songs and psalms and hymns. And then most of all today, Lord, we pray that you would give us a freshness of thankfulness in our hearts. And that whatever we do with our lives, because we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, in word and deed, let us do it all for your glory and give you thanks. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You hear us okay online? Yes, yes. Yeah. 
Okay, good. I was hoping the audio fixed itself. All right. Well, before we turn to, to our Bibles to to hear the this morning's sermon passage, let's pray the Lord's Prayer together, and this will be a good transition to the to hearing God speak to us. So, Brandon, if you could share the, the text, that'd be great. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right, well, we are in Colossians chapter 3. <clears throat> We're continuing in this great series. I mean, there's, there's so much packed into Colossians. I've, I've cut stuff out. I mean, there's, it's really about how do you get the gospel of Jesus and his grace down into the nitty-gritty of your life and where you live. And got the theology behind it, who Jesus is, what he did for you. We got this new identity that's now controlling your behavior. And then we talked about what does it look like to put on love so that you physically live out the way Jesus loved you. And now we're in this section of, okay, whatever you do, do it in the name of Jesus because you carry his name wherever you go. And Paul takes the big wherever you go and narrows down the life of gratitude and a life of representing Jesus to, to your house, to your household. And so we're going to read this passage, right? Nothing reveals your theology like the people whom, with whom you live, <laughs> for better or for worse. So let's, let's read this text and we'll jump into it. This is God's word. It's Colossians chapter 3. It should be behind me. It's verses 18 through 4, 1. It says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also are a master in heaven. Let's pray before we begin. Uh, Father God, you are kind, you are gentle and compassionate. And I pray now that as we look at this text, your spirit would change our hearts, that we would be gripped by your grace, so that we might have knowledge and wisdom and understanding and a desire to, to apply this and live, live out your love at home. So Holy Spirit, do that. Help us that we might 
in everything we do, do it in the name of our Savior who loves us and giving thanks to our Father who planned this before we were born, before this world was made. And for that, we thank him and we ask for your help now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So like I said, we're going to talk about family. And uh, what, I don't know if you've ever read any of Grimm's fairy tales, um, some of the old ones before Disney got a hold of them and took all the disturbing stuff out. All right, before they got disified. There's this great little short story about family called the, the Old Man and His Grandson. And it illustrates the power of family well and, and why we need wisdom on how to live well with one another. All right, so this, this story is about a, a very old man who could barely see, he could barely hear, his knees could barely hold his weight, and, and his hands would tremble. And so every night when they would get together for their family meal, he would sit down with the family and he would try and, and feed himself. And because he was weak, he was constantly making a mess. And the, the, the soup, the broth would fall off his spoon and, and land on the tablecloth, much to his daughter-in-law's deep, deep frustration. I mean, his son, whom he lived with, and his son's wife were greatly disgusted by this. Eventually, they got sick of the mess. They got sick of the inconvenience, the last straw was when his hands trembled so much, he broke a valuable bowl and it broke. And so they led him away from the table to eat in the corners apart from the family behind the stove. And so every day he would, he would look out, look at his family with tears in his eyes, look longingly at the table and get only scoldings and lectures when he made a mess. Well, one day, much later at home, while the four-year-old grandson's a picture of someone little like Ezra, had been watching everything unfold before his eyes, he began to collect pieces of wood. And his dad looked at him and said, son, what are you doing? What are you working on? And the little four-year-old looked at both his parents in the eyes, and he said, well, I am making a feeding trough for my mother and father to eat out of for when I get big. And that's when the mother and father looked at each other, obviously guilty, eyes filled with tears, and they walked over to the grandfather, led him back to the table, never to complain about his mess and the inconvenience again. That is a Grimm's fairy tale. <laughs> it's a great story, right? In the sense of you can see the power of husband and wife, the effect it has on children, and anyone who is in your household because when you're in a home and you're surrounded by other human beings and other sinners, uh, that is where your theology of love and what you think of people comes out. Whether they're someone to be used, someone to be mad at because they're inconvenienced, or someone to be served. Right? And it's, it's because God loves us so much, he gives us families, and that's why our text is so helpful it really dives in and gives principles about how to live together, right? And in the Bible, this is, this is good news. This is how God has always worked. He works through families. And so Paul, it's not unusual. This is what I want you to see. It's not unusual for Paul to move from whatever you do to focus on the family, right? Because think of the story of redemption. You have Father Abraham and many sons. I'd sing it for you, but this is being recorded. So <laughs> I'm not going to do that, right? It's through Abraham and his family, 
turns out to be his offspring, which is Jesus and his family. God is changing the world. God works through families. Uh, Israel was called God's son, and God related to them as a father. I mean, there's that great passage in Hosea where it says that God led Israel like a father teaching his son to walk. He, he held them with cords of kindness. The whole book of Proverbs is about parenting. Right? The wisdom you need as parents and as children. But when you get to the end of the Old Testament, this is some of the context for Colossians here. When you get to the end of the Old Testament, right? You're reading your Bible in a year, whatever you, however you get through it. You get to Malachi. Marriage and family are a mess for a book that claims to be pro-family and tells you to love, your, love the people you live with. Right? Men are faithless. There's just a whole rant against divorce because easy divorce. Right? The, the wives become inconvenient. Send them away, and God is upset by that. Apparently, fathers aren't invested in, in discipline and, and parenting. They aren't discipling their children. They aren't teaching them to love the Lord their God and keep his commandments like the Old Testament says. And that's why the Malachi ends with this. Look for a day in the future when God will show up. And before, right before he shows up, he's going to send a prophet to heal broken families. He will send a prophet who, will, this is what it says, he will turn the hearts of the fathers toward his children and the hearts of the children toward their father. I mean, it, we know now that person was John the Baptist making the way for Jesus. And so if John the Baptist is going to heal and change families through repentance because God is coming, how much more should we expect Jesus to teach us to mend relationships with our children, uh, cultivate fa faithfulness in marriage, and to heal bitterness and resentment? I mean, that's, that's where the gospel is taking you towards healing what is broken in our homes. And so that's what Colossians does as a long introduction. It gives us little pieces of wisdom to think about a long time on how it applies to you and your household. How does the power of the gospel change your home life? Right? And so even if your household isn't ideal, right, this, there's wisdom here for your relationships. And here's the first part. First point, the gospel turns your family order upside down. And, and here's, here's what I mean by that. When you, as we modern people read, uh, read this text, it starts with submit. And that just like grates to our Western ears like nails on a chalkboard. Right? I mean, as one of my friends in college once said at a wedding, the wedding was beautiful, except for all that submission garbage. <laughs> right? What about equality? Does that just mean the husband's in charge and he just gets to cast around orders? You know? And then children, right? It says, obey everything your parents tell you to do. Children are wondering if Paul knew the parents they had. <laughs> everything, really? Um, and then we got this whole thing about slavery, which we'll talk about next week. Why did Paul say obey your masters? Why didn't he just burn the whole practice of slavery to the ground with a few words? I, I will argue that he did, but we'll talk about that next week. Right? It's really helpful for you to see that this is actually good news. This is honoring and respecting women and children and slaves in ways that the ancient world did not. It's really helpful because in the ancient world, women, children, and slaves were generally seen as the husband's property, as things to be used, not to be served, not as people to be served. 
They weren't treated and seen, especially in the pagan world, um, as people made in God's image, someone you are obligated to love. I mean, even in the Jewish context, the husband was the head of the household. And in some of the worst cases, right? I mean, men would pray, thank God you made me a man, not a woman. And so when you're reading this passage, if you don't know that, it, it just seems like a random list, but it's actually incredibly beautiful and important as Paul starts by addressing wives before the husbands, addressing children before the parents, addressing servants before the master. Right? He's flipping their whole world upside down, saying, you wives, you children, you servants are just as significant in Christ's kingdom as the men. Right? We're in this. Christ is in all and is all. Right? Jesus changes homes and he, he communicates to everybody. All right? I mean, just imagine you're sitting there and your children, especially the kids, right? You're, you're never to speak before spoken to and all of a sudden... The pastor says, kids, listen up, this is for you. It's incredibly honoring and countercultural. So the gospel changed it. I mean, you think about us today. I mean, this is what it's calling you to do, to think about, do you see your family members, all of them, from the smallest to everyone in your household, as someone who is a valuable member of Christ's kingdom? Right? And if you look at the pairs here, the Lord is over all of them. He is intimately involved in all these relationships. You're submitting in as is fitting in the Lord. Your children are obeying in order to please the Lord. Husbands are called to love, and that love is an echo of what we've already talked about, about love, which is imitating the God who is love. So, does that look a little bit like your house, that Jesus has a say over the relationships and how you interact with each other. Or maybe the negative way would be to ask whose selfishness is ruling your house right now? Who's, who's, whose selfishness is just dominating the conversations? I mean, you can, you can get rid of religion. You can say, I'm gonna let my kids do what they want, but no matter how you look at it, if you don't have someone outside of your house bringing order to the chaos, saying this is the rule to live by, homes are gonna be ruled by the person who is either consciously or unconsciously the most selfish and most verbal about it. And so that's why this is so, such good news and, and helpful because this is turning your house upside down and saying now, let me order the chaos in your house. Jesus is king. He's a compassionate king. He's a gentle king. He's a patient king. You gotta you got learn how to, Put this on and, and live it out in your house. Right. And so that's, that's the first point. The gospel turned your house upside down by giving you a rule, a king, someone who loves you, greater than anyone else in the household. And even in the ancient world, the husband whose word was law, right? Now, in a Christian household, right, he, he has a master, a king. Now, go a little bit further. It talks about marriage, and it says, so let's talk about a gospel-centered, a Christ-centered marriage, and it, it's just, like I said, this is kind of like wisdom nuggets to, me, to meditate on. I mean, it's, it seems like 
it's very simple, but if we could do this, we wouldn't have chaos in our house, in our homes. That's the challenge, right? So like, Paul starts by speaking to wives. And like I said, this is an honor. This is a grace of speaking to the wives, to the women first. And it says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. So we need that whole sentence together. And so here's what it's not saying. It needs to be said out loud. It's not saying that all women everywhere must submit to men. It just doesn't say that. It says, wives, submit to your husbands. And I've heard this put that way. That's why I'm talking like this. It's, nor is Paul saying that, wives, you are now governed by the selfishness of your husband, because that's how God set it up. That's not what it's saying. Right? It is not saying that, wives, you have to do whatever your husband commands, whatever he wants. And if he ha has to use this passage to get you to do what he wants, that too is not okay. It's not healthy. Right? I mean, if that's what's happening, you need to ask for help and counseling. And we will gladly offer, come alongside and get help. Because we don't want good theology to be abused, corrupted, and twisted to set up someone to do the exact opposite of what Paul is calling them to do. Right? So that, that's, uh, that is not what submission is about. No, it says, as fitting in the Lord. So it's setting up boundaries. And in, the, in a gospel-centered marriage, it's saying, wives, you get to submit first and foremost to Jesus. So his commands are the boundaries of which you live to love one another. And that now love your husband. Submit to him. Right. So it's, it's, it's already protecting you. If, if, if submission is as fitting in the Lord, it's already protecting you from doing something that is immoral or even just receiving unhelpful bossy commands. Right? It frees you from tyranny because you're under the rule of Jesus. I know this is going to be challenging, but it just doesn't let this command become, make you a doormat. And that, that's what I find helpful. You need to hold those together as it is fitting in the Lord. Right? But it does say submit, and that is the word, a word our culture does not like. It freaks us out. Because um, submission is about stepping down from my self-importance and willingly coming underneath to serve the desires of someone else. Right? So I, I like this definition. Submission is voluntarily putting yourself under someone else's authority. You're, you're, you're choosing to listen, you're choosing to obey. Right? And wives are commanded to submit then as is fitting in the Lord. And I think what Paul is getting at here is, is the part of the, you get to embody wives what Jesus did for us already, which is submit to God's will. Submission is a Jesus thing that he did first perfectly. Right? And it becomes a little bit more clear when you get to Ephesians 5. And Paul says, oh, wives, submit to your husbands as the church submits to Christ. Right? So it's just a model of I am taking my desires and now using them to serve my family, my, my husband in particular in this text. Right? And so that, that's the honor. Why? It starts right there. Wives, you get the honor to embody and model what gospel submission looks like. Imitating what looks as, as fitting or appropriate for those who are in the Lord. 
imitating Christ who submitted to the will of his father. But that command doesn't come alone. And so that's why you got to talk about husbands loving their wives. You don't want to separate those two. The command is partnered with the command for husbands to love their wives and to not be harsh with them. So you put all that together, what does that look like? At minimum, it's saying to husbands and wives, don't let your desires suffocate and rule the relationship. You have to love and submit to one another without manipulation, without blackmail, without nagging, without pa being passive aggressive, without abusive language, as Paul's already said. I mean, it's, it's, it's a dance. I don't know how else to put it. You know, you've got the husband moving towards his wife in love and the love responding to that life-giving love with, with willful submission. And you need both for this to be a healthy relationship. And you do so because you have Christ, right? So for husbands, this moves on to say, husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh. There's a lot, a lot here to think about, but just what does it look like to put on love for your wife? What does it look like to, to love according to Colossians 3? So if you go back a little bit further in the text, it says, put on compassion, put on gentleness, patience, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Husbands, forgive your wives. So I can put it this way. Husbands, don't become bitter or angry when you realize that your wife is just as much a sinner as you are. And I can speak personally. That's what our whole first year of marriage was about was me discovering I'm a sinner and I'm a pain to live with. And then when my wife sins against me, I'm saying, okay, God's forgiven me this. Now I have to forgive her. Right? That's why the first year is so hard because you're just, you're just navigating these waters for the first time. Right? But I think here Paul is putting the prerogative on us as husbands to lead with love. And love, according to Colossians, leads with bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If you're going to, again, tie in Ephesians 5, as Christ loved the church, husbands love your wives. Christ came to his wife, the church, to forgive first. So this is what's been really helpful for me, is processing it this way, is that you put on love for your wife, you're moving towards your spouse for, towards forgiveness, with forgiveness first. And when you do that, your, your wife, it starts to build trust. It, it does help build trust. That's just one way to apply this, right? You're putting on love, being patient with one another. Don't be harsh. Being harsh, that, that's the opposite of gentleness. I mean, I think, again, Paul is saying, husbands, you can't get with your wives to do what you want by just screaming at them, by belittling them, by name calling, by shaming. Don't be harsh. Um, I mean, harsh in the Greek has something to do with um, tasting something bitter and poisonous. Right? So if you're at that place and you're married and you think of your spouse and you think of poison and something that tastes bitter and your face shows it, right? Paul's saying, don't be embittered towards your wives. Right? Where you think negative thoughts, you want to work towards her good. 
Don't be harsh. All right, and so where, I, I think of it this way. I mean, think of harshness. I think of harshness as the opposite of gentleness. And so where does the power for husbands, the power for being gentle, for being patient with another sinner come from? Well, the fact that God has been so patient and gentle with you. Or even more so, in a Christian marriage, we're in Colossians 3, so this is the whole context here. God is at work renewing Christ's image in the husband and the wife, those who profess faith in Christ. So husbands, you're now commanded to be patient with God's work in your wife. And wives, you're being commanded to be patient with God's work in your husband. And it doesn't always happen at, at the same time. So you end up having to be patient with one another. See, I find a lot of the power for being gentle is just the reality. Jesus said, come to me, I am gentle. I don't explode in anger in the presence of failure. I move with compassions when you screw up because I want you to change. Okay. So if husbands, if you're taking that knowledge of Jesus, love your wives as you have been loved. Don't be harsh with them, but be gentle because Christ has been gentle with you. That, that's starting to create a relationship where you can see each other. You can talk to each other. You can have, be honest with each other. Like I said, this is wisdom literature, so it's very brief, but there's a lot packed into that. It's Husbands and wives now have the privilege of loving each other as Christ loved the church. And so when others see your marriage, they say, well, why do you, where do you get the strength to do that? What? You know, you, I saw what that person did to you. I saw what your spouse did to you and you forgive. I mean, that we get to embody the gospel, to live it out in our marriage. Here's point three. It talks about moves from marriage, right? This is the foundation of a household. And then it moves to talk to the, to the children. And I wish kids were here because we would, I would do this differently. So kids, if you're around, if you're awake, uh, sit up, stop flopping around like fish. I'm talking to my kids. I know what you're doing. Oh. <laughs> um, right. This is what, what's really cool is it starts by talking to kids. Children, obey your parents and everything. For this pleases the Lord, right? And so if I had to guess, kids, children, grown or otherwise, you were told by something by your parents in the last week, month, especially since we've been stuck at home together, they told you to do something you did not want to do because it was inconvenient or you just didn't want right? to clean your room, do the dishes, don't punch your sibling, finish your homework, Right? If you're not done your homework yet, kids, you know who you are. Finish your homework. Um, right? Paul says the reason you children should listen to your parents in everything is because this pleases the Lord. Which means Jesus cares about you as a child and what you're doing at home. It's important. Right? So kids, this is really important. I know sometimes it seems at church like like mommies and daddies, like your parents are more important and that grownups are in charge and they get to tell you what to do. But in the Bible right here in this place, because Paul is turning families upside down 
It's like Jesus gets down on his knees and looks at the kids in the eyes and says, it is important that you obey your parents because that makes me happy. You, you know he loves you because he speaks to you first. I mean, how many arguments kids do you get into? And grownups, let's be honest, <laughs> because you want to be first. Here, Jesus puts you first. He says, obey your parents. So, two things for, you, for, your, for children, right? It's encouraging you to start now to think about your obedience to your parents has everything to do with wanting to show that you know and love being loved by Jesus. That you are important. You get to ask right now. This is a, you are being discipled. You are learning to be like Jesus. That you are an important part of Jesus' kingdom. So you get to read the Bible and you get to obey your parents. It gets a little more complicated as kids get older. I'm sure we can have conversations if you want to do that about that. But the second point I want you to see, because of the way this is ordered, right? God is better than any parent that you have, even the best parents. If this pleases the Lord, you're already told you're, you're loved by Jesus and he died on the cross for your sins and he forgave you and now he loves you and he wants you to grow up and mature. And Jesus is better than any parent because his love is the best. Jesus forgives. He always forgives when you screw up. He will not hold something against you for decades. When you're sad, when you're hurting, he won't be impatient with you. He wants to help you when you suffer. Right? Your parents are kind to you. They give you all kinds of good gifts, but no parent is kind like Jesus because he never gets grumpy. He won't call you names when you, when you do something that makes, makes him mad, uh, that makes him sad because you broke his commands. Right? He doesn't just explode the way parents can. Jesus' love is better than any parent's love for you. And that's why you want to please him. Because he loves you. No one loves you like Jesus loves you. And when you obey your parents, you start to act just like Jesus did. Who said, on his way to dying on the cross for you, I love to do what my father tells me. So kid, you get the privilege of imitating Jesus. All right, now we're going to talk to parents. And that's, that's where this moves forward and says, fathers, do not provoke your children unless they become discouraged. So this is gospel-shaped parenting. Um, right, it's assuming both parents are involved, right? Children obey your parents. But Paul specifically aims at fathers as the head of the household, the disciplinarians um, in particular. Right? And all of this assumes what the Bible has already said about parenting. So it's assuming you want to disciple your kids. You want them to know Jesus. You want them to believe in the, that he died on the cross for their sins and, and that heaven is real. You're, you're trying to teach them the Bible and how to be human. Right? That's assumed. But it says, fathers, dads, don't provoke your kids. Don't make them resent you. That's what it means to provoke your kids. Don't make them think of you and go, ugh, I, I give up. Right? So they don't give up, so they're not discouraged, so they're not disheartened. So if you just 
pull that phrase apart. I mean, dads, it's saying we're an integral part of parenting. It's not just a woman's job. It's telling us, telling fathers, just like Malachi said would happen, turn your heart and your affections towards your children. Engage, engage, parent. And second, right, if you're a father, we've already saw in Colossians 3 that you are being renewed in the image of God, your creator, who is a father. We have a desire implanted in us that we want to parent like God parents us. We want to be a father the way God fathers. And how does God deal with children who don't want to listen? Just the whole story of the Bible. Well, it's, it's through his kindness that leads us to repentance, to quote Romans. Uh, it's, it's not yelling louder till they, till they sh listen up because they just want you to stop. No, it's his kindness. Kindness that, that, that dads have been told to put on as God's loved ones. Right. And so here's the goal. As parenting, the goal as dads is I want my kids, even if we disagree about stuff as they get older, to trust me, to come back, right? to not get discouraged and walk away and resent their dad because he was just, uh, he was just selfish and mean. No, but because he was kind and used words that were clear and helpful, and even though we didn't agree, right, they come back and say, Dad, will you help me? That's what Paul's getting at here. You don't want your kids to resent you, to be provoked to anger, where they say, why bother trying to keep dad happy? Because he's never happy anyway. Because I'm never good enough. You know, how many kids and grown adults feel that way, that I can never please my parents? That's what this is saying. Don't provoke your children to feel that way. Because you know what irritates and provokes our kids is when children are treated like they're the only sinners in the household. And Paul is talking to the whole family and treating them like sinners. Yeah. That's just one, one way to process this. And it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. If you want your children to come back, right? it's gonna be our kindness of saying, I disagree with you, that is not okay. You're hurting someone but I love you and I want you to get better. Let's pray and ask Jesus to help, help this change, right? That's a conversation rather than you are inconveniencing me, kid, just go to bed, <laughs> right? And that's the hardest part about parenting is everything is an inconvenience, especially when they're young. This is the stage we're in, right? But just in general, parenting is inconvenient because you have yoked yourself to another human being and sworn to serve them for all of their lives because you love them and that's what love does, right? So consider this, and this is how we'll end. There's a lot here, There's a, it's a tall order. How in the world do you get the strength to do that? Right? To be willing to submit to one another, to be willing to love, to be willing to be patient, to be willing to forgive fathers, right? To put on kindness and not just react out of selfishness. And so, this is what I found helpful meditating on this. 
Consider the parable of the prodigal son. What is the father like? Is he parents? Right. Is he harsh? Is he demanding? No, he's rich in kindness and grace. If you remember the story of the youngest son, he comes to his dad and says, I want my inheritance now, which was functionally the equivalent of saying, dad, I wish you were dead. You are dead to me. Just give me your stuff. Right? And the father, rich in kindness, it says, it divided his life between his two sons. And he gave the youngest what he wanted. And, and the son goes out and spends the wealth of his father in reckless living, unaware of his own slavery to his own selfishness until he hits rock bottom. Right? He's, this is context of Jews, and, and this Jewish son is now eating and sharing life with the pigs. And what draws him home again? It's his father's kindness. It's like, even my father takes good care of his servants, so I'll at least get a meal. It's, his, it's the father, the heavenly father's kindness that led him to repentance. It wasn't even good repentance. Right? He was content to be a slave. And God's not content for us to just be servants. He wants us to be sons. And so when he comes home and the father isn't standing there with a lecture, right? He's been thinking about this for 15 years, ready to just unload. No. He runs through the village, right? He's a, he's a Jewish man, so he's got to gird his loins, so to speak, pick up his skirts to run. It's a humiliating thing. He grabs his son, embraces him, and just rejoices at the fact his son who was lost is now found. He puts the ring, he gives him a robe to cover up his filth. Even while he smells like pig sweat and failure. And that, that is what leads sinners to repentance. The kindness of our God. That, that, that picture of how God loves us is what Paul is trying to do here in Colossians of saying, the gospel changes all of your relationships, especially for those who are in authority. You use your authority to love as you have been loved. So husbands, love your wives. Fathers, don't provoke your children. Kids, you have authority. You get to choose to obey your parents. Wives, you have a role. You get to submit to your husbands, right? All of that is possible because Christ is your life and you have received mercy, right? I love how Jesus sums this up in the gospel of Mark. And you remember, you remember the gospel of Mark where everybody, it's the disciples, he's, they're on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus is on his way to die. And they're, they're thinking about Jesus being in charge, like, all right, we're gonna get seat number two and seat number three. I know Jesus is in charge, but I can't wait to boss these other losers around. Right, and, and so they're bickering and fighting over who's the greatest. And Jesus says, guess what? The Gentiles lord their authority over others. It shall not be so among you. He's talking to disciples. And when you have authority, think about Jesus, the son of man, who has all authority in heaven and on earth, who came not to be served, but to serve to give his life as a ransom for many. And that, that is 
the, the, the principles and, and the art or the, the wisdom we are given now to go back into our homes and love the sinners that, that God has put us in life together with. So go and think about those things, about Christ's great love for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a good God and you show no partiality and that you, and yet in love, you have set your affection on us in Christ, that we might be chosen, holy, beloved. You, you, because Christ died for us, we are blameless, unaccusable, and because we receive so much, Lord, I pray that that, that pattern of your love for us would, would infect our homes change and heal our marriages, heal our relationship with our parents, and just give us the desire to be patient with others if you have been so patient with us. So may you continue to do that great work of molding and shaping us into the image of your beloved son, Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to respond to the gospel by singing, we will feast in the house of Zion. We will, we will feast together as family at the end of all things. So please stand as you're able. And Brandon was sharing.
hear the, the benediction. This is a good word from our God, from Colossians and Isaiah. It says, and now to God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, whom he has upheld since they were conceived, carried since they were born, hear now his good promise. He says, I am he, I will sustain you, I will carry you, I will rescue you, even to your old age. So go in that assurance that was bought and paid for by Christ on the cross. Amen. For you guys online, I will set up breakout rooms if you would like that. So feel free to stick around. Thanks for joining us.